got off uh, the spaces with V chain and Charles Hoskinson. That's kind of interesting. Um, what I didn't hear very much on that call was um, a lot of like, really clear cut real world implementation of uh, V chain or for that matter, um, Cardano shit. Um, Kind of V chain is sort of the supply chain sort of um, you know connectivity or like you know put supply chains on the blockchain kind of idea. And I was looking at that just to kind of see like maybe something has changed over the past few years. Maybe I should buy the coin. Maybe something big is coming along. I don't think I heard anything very specific. Like I think a lot of the promises V chain made to like deploy a lot of their stuff across America with uh, big supply chain companies. I don't think anything major has materialized. I think they did something with maybe Walmart China. I'm not even, I'm not even sure how deep that integration really is. Um, but anyway, but for some reason, Charles Hoskinson was hanging out with them and just talking random Cardano stuff. And I don't know, didn't seem like a whole lot of real world implementation there either. Um, Cause if there was something legitimate, like they would probably have bragged about it at least. So it's kind of concerning for <laughs> that uh, all these years go by in crypto and fucking nothing gets implemented. Um, you know, trading random shit coins back and forth is fun, but the thing is, like, how many of those things are going to result in some kind of material impact um, as the crypto space gets more mature and there's more coins around and everyone can gamble on random meme coins every five seconds? The the stuff that's going to like perform really well long term for investors is going to typically be stuff that's some kind of with some sort of um, definitive and maybe permanent use case. Um, you know, like Bitcoin has a store of value standard, you know, fixed supply store of value, biggest networks. So that's kind of its big thing. You have say Ethereum, the kind of base layer for a gigantic L1 ecosystem. However, it has problems with scalability and whatnot. Um, I'm going to be eating breakfast while we're talking a little bit too. So if I pause here and there, you know why. Um, but um, like Ethereum, I think, um, you know, the, the problems of scalability and such, you know, we've gotten all these various layer twos and those are starting to face some scalability issues sometimes during high traffic. Um, so, you know, is Ethereum the future of money? I don't know. Um, People largely complain about Cardano being generally kind of slow during any kind of traffic. It's very decentralized, um, which is kind of its plus point, I would say. But beyond that, um, is there anything particularly special or useful about the Cardano blockchain? Not really. 
Um, there's nothing, nothing really like definitive that sets it apart, and it doesn't have like native cross-chain capabilities. Um, so like it's being dominated by tons and tons of like uh, Cosmos chains that are emerging. And there's several just opening up in the coming weeks. One is Dimension, for example. Another one is like that came out recently that some of the guys were talking about yesterday was, um, oh, I forget the name of the damn thing. Um, Zeta, I think. And then there's another one called, and I'm just losing, losing track of all the different names, but there's a variety of um, Cosmos chains emerging, um, you know, with various sort of like cross-chain interoperability kinds of ideas going on. Uh, I forget the name of the other one. Oracle was mentioning it, but it was like one that connected to like XRP or some shit. I'm not sure. So a lot of the the coins out there today, um, you know that you know they're going to be either diluted by endless new coins that come out. Um, block space is getting cheap, and it seems like the space is very PVP. You know, like which layer one is going to pop next? Which one? Should I buy so I can get multiples? But are people like solidly investing in most of these? I'm not so sure. Um, so these AI narratives and whatnot are mostly like hype pump narratives and they're going to crash ultimately. Um, you know, it's really hard to tell when exactly that's going to happen. So it's kind of like determining like what coins have lasted longest and which are, you know, provide a use case that maybe is unique, that provides a narrative or a story with ongoing attention we all know of course that like the crypto is all about attention if you can't you could have a great product but nobody gives a shit um you know perfect example would be like monero which we talked about a little bit yesterday uh it's all of its coins are basically mined and only the tail emissions remain which are pretty slow and um you know so like as far as story value you know there you go there's your digital scarcity and it's private. Um, chart looks really good. It might moon as a result of that, and it hasn't pumped yet, which is another plus side. So that might be something to um, throw a low risk bag into uh, for consideration. Um, but it has the you know the privacy capabilities, the largest privacy coin. So um, it has some headwinds because of regulatory um, scrutiny against privacy coins, and maybe the access on centralized exchanges may end up being somewhat limited. But it also keeps down the amount of like leverage players on that platform on those platforms. So therefore, these things do end up being more of a store of value sort of function because they don't have nearly as much like immediate volatility. Anyway, um, the so a lot of different things happening. I'm still finding that um, you know out of the 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 older chains that uh, the clear upside here. Um, with like relatively constrained downside risk is Chainlink. Um, it's uh, obviously broken out of its uh, consolidation range and popped out of that $17.50 level area. This recent high in December, and now it's like retested that and headed up again. So it's looking good today, about eighteen fifty-five dollars uh, is the price at the moment. And um, as I pointed out, uh, its prior high is about $53. Um, the thing about crypto is to reach prior high, you have to have something compelling. Uh, the first pump, like the first cycle for a coin, nobody knows what to make of that coin. It can pump to God knows how high valuations. And those valuations can basically be um, 
you know, based on no particular reality because they can just go up, up and away, you know, no relationship to actual real world usage or anything else. So purely speculative, 90, 95% meme, you know, based, you know, people want to basically make multiples and pump the thing. So they'll go up, but then they'll jump like 91% like Chainlink did. To reach prior high again uh, is actually quite hard. Um, many chains simply don't do it. They might get small multiples, but they'll bleed against themselves or they'll bleed against Bitcoin and never make it pat, you know, back to prior highs um, for subsequent seasons. Um, you know, like something like EOS would be a good example of that. Or let me see what happened to um, like, like Ethereum Classic last season. Did it actually make prior high? Um, I think it might have. Yeah, ETH Classic made a, a new high. Um, as an example, without Ethereum Classic is just old Ethereum fundamentally, but um, it's sitting at like twenty five bucks now. Does anyone really want it? I don't know. It's a proof of work chain, so um, it has a store of value function. But the thing is, like uh, reaching prior highs for a new bull market um, is not going to happen to every coin. Is my point, and um, you have plenty of examples of that type of thing not happening. Uh, Monero is one of them. Uh, a lot of others and it, it's going to become increasingly hard as people's attention is divided between chains that's what's interesting about Chainlink is that it's not a blockchain it doesn't rely upon the success of any one blockchain it just relies upon the increasing implementation of crypto generally and the use of their various services of which there's like seven or eight of them now oracles and verifiable randomness and a bunch of other shit um ccip and nfts and whatever so um that's kind of what's bullish about it in that there's ongoing narratives. Every implementation is going to lead to news and all of those implementations are going to lead to um, like, you know, more uh, YouTube videos and more Twitter posts and whatever, right? Like it's, it's all about attention. Cause think about it. Has anything really changed between when it, it, it when chain link was at $5 and now that it's 1850, nothing has changed like except for a few random implementations. The only thing that's changed is people's attention has come back. Why did it come back? Because they had a conference, they had, they got on Bankless, they got their Twitter channel to post a bunch of shit, and now the coin price is up, right? Like there's truly no new technical advancement that's happened between $5 and $19. So these things get undervalued for periods of time, they get overvalued for periods of time. And that's just basic price discovery. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it doesn't mean that something, some news had to happen specific to get price to go up right now. Um, that can sometimes be the case. You know, if some mega implementation or something gets announced in crypto, you can see some you know crazy thing like you know some coins will pump if some special news or something or bad news it might dump. Um, so with with Chainlink, there hasn't been anything particular. Um, they continue to sell, the companies that continues to sell some of their tokens for making ends meet or running business operations. So there's that criticism. Um, but despite that, I think the probability in a bull market of reaching at least prior high is pretty damn good. Um, and um, that's about a 3x from here. So I think the risk return is still pretty reasonable here. Um, we haven't had as much of a pump as other coins like Solana and such. Um, for Link to go back to sort of its like relative FIB level compared to previous high, it would be at 3150, which is the FIB that um, Solana made on its chart. Um, so I think 3150 is like a more immediate 
um, target? Do we just run straight up to all-time high? I think that really depends on how the general market looks this coming, um, you know, six months or so through summer, uh, especially if like BTC and whatnot um, remains either stable or just starts to run to its prior high, which I think is feasible. There's no real negative outlook for Bitcoin at this point with the ETFs and everything working out. So I'm, I tend to be bullish. I think like I'm, in my mind, I'm 70% bullish, maybe 30% bearish regarding um, the crypto space at the moment. I think things look pretty good. Um, we've also had a pretty decent altcoin pullback as well. And what you'll noticing is that after this recent um, alt pullback, some coins are showing strength while others are not. Um, the ones that are not showing strength right now after the pullback should make you nervous for sure. Um, things like fetch i mentioned today on a tweet um should make you nervous because like you know the ai narrative is sort of played out and remember all these things are just hype pumps right so the ai narrative is played out fetch is not like catching a bid as much as say Chainlink is right now after its dip so really like the the coins showing like some of the better um up like immediate strength after this recent altcoin dip with total three would be Chainlink. i would say um, it's showing strength against Bitcoin. It's showing strength against Ethereum. Um, you can just on TradingView pull up the Link ETH chart or Link Bitcoin chart. Um, both of those are against exactly against Fib resistance. Um, it's it's quite feasible to imagine we move up a couple of Fib levels. Um, most of the time in crypto, when price action really starts taking off into bull markets, um, things usually move a couple of Fib levels, not just one. Uh, that's just common sort of like price action. Once momentum begins, it just like flies. So I think um, my immediate target for chain links can be that $31 FIB level that on, on my chart. And um, and then beyond that is just anybody's guess. We'll see. And then where do we get the correction for chain link? Do we head to all time high and then correct to like a giga dump to like $21? I think that's quite possible. Um, if you look at the history of chain link, those kinds of moves are very common and would be like consistent with its prior chart action. So it wouldn't shock me at all if we like, if we run really high, really fast, like let's say we go straight to $53 over the next few months, then you'll probably get a correction down to, you could get a connect, connect um, sorry, correction down to like 21, which is another fib. And then it like flies from there, something like that. Or um, um, like, you know, I mean, that's just like the worst case scenario. Or if you get, if you only run this time to 31, then a, a dip down to 21 would be super bullish um, in the sense that like the $21 level would be a buy at that point to me. Um, I'm doubting we're gonna retest like, you know, $12, you know, the lower FIB levels at this point. I think it's just much, much less likely. So this this thing like, you know, Chainlink does play really well with FIB levels, very closely correlated. So the odds of these types of moves happening are quite high. Um, you just don't know from what level you're going to drop from or how high you're going to go. So there's a lot of gray area. In retrospect, when you look at the chart, you're like, aha, look, it hit all these FIB levels. Prospectively, like looking forward, can you actually predict which one's going to hit and when? Not exactly. You can sort of use a little bit of um, past history as a little bit of a guide, essentially. But anyway, just some thoughts on that. Um, Shads, um, what's up, man? Thank you. Hey, what's I'm, up? I'm gonna mute I, so I, I can. I'm gonna mute myself so I can eat some cereal here while you talk. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, I had a. I was kind of curious if you've ever looked at wallet growth, um, because the thing with Chainlink and 
Um, I've been in it quite some time. Uh, I got into crypto around 2016, 2017. And, uh, you know, wallet growth, seems to correlate highly with price action in many of the different assets yep that's, in pretty, much, space. that's pretty much true of every coin yeah like when the hype begins like new wilds start to form and all of that yep and so one of the things i think that's unique is you know i think Chainlink has somewhere around 716 717,000 uh, wallets currently now that doesn't count anything that's on centralized exchanges obviously but Solana has like 15 million, supposedly. Ripple has like 5 million. So I find it interesting when you have something that's appreciating and you haven't quite seen the growth there. If CCIP was to really take off and for some reason it really made sense for a lot of people on a lot of different chains to carry Link in their wallet for payment, for whatever... Then also, obviously, the publicity of that, if it ever does become the universal gas coin, I think could be interesting setup. Yeah, I think like what has to happen too is wallets themselves, like MetaMask or uh, you know whatever they have, like if they implement a CCIP capabilities where they can allow you to use your link as a universal gas token, that would help a lot as well. So some of that stuff has not completely materialized yet. So there's a lot of like future potential bullish catalysts that haven't like you know they're not priced in in a sense deterministically right. priced in like you could speculatively speculatively price that fit in but deterministic meaning like they're actually implemented in causing people to buy link for that purpose that hasn't happened yet not yet so i think i think both are important so like yeah future catalysts are important um a lot of the immediate price action like i mentioned will tend to be highly speculative um we shouldn't get too caught up in the tech i think the real question is like are there good narratives going forward for the next three years um and between real world assets and ccip universal gas all these things there's plenty to talk about and i think there's a lot more to talk about with Chainlink than there is with almost every other project like i mean i follow most of the things um in the you know or have owned a lot of the tokens in the top 200 you know over the years and um i haven't seen too much news I, maybe you can correct me i don't i haven't seen too many things with as much news as chainlink has lately lately the lately. marketing seems to be in overdrive um I, I think there was some complaints about it obviously they picked up a new head of marketing i want to say a year ago um and it seems but i don't know that they really prioritized it i think strategically if you look at the way they've operated um well they had to have they had to have product job. to talk about right so that was the thing now now that there's more that's true to discuss more implementations yep. actually happening now it looks like it's not just pure vaporware yeah and i think that the marketing that we're seeing um speaks to that point uh, as you're saying and i'm excited for the next three years um none of us really know how quick the real world asset thing could come into play i mean it could happen quick um it's taken a while it could continue to take a while but once everything's in place i kind of imagine that there's going to be a gap where a lot comes on chain pretty quickly yeah i think that's the interesting thing is here timing wise a lot of new implementations for Chainlink will probably emerge <clears throat> not just during this bull market but during the next bear market yep 
And that could be a very helpful thing because the way I think of crypto is like the tops are hype. Whichever coins can generate the most hype get the highest tops. The bottoms are utility because like that's the real that's the real value of the thing. It's the store of value, value of the thing. And it's also the value of the thing people are willing to, you know, use it for utility. So um yeah, any any utility function, you have to think about this. Like, if I was going to buy a bunch of chain link right now for the future utility, I would want to buy it low. I don't want to buy it high because I don't want my utility to go down as the price goes down. If that makes sense. So, like, the utility tokens always crash um, when their value gets overvalued relative to their relative utility. It's the same thing as like a stock where you know, like, the value goes too high compared to its dividend. Yeah, it just like it doesn't make any sense at that point to own it unless the growth is expected to be fantastic. Same thing here, like in crypto, like the bottoms are about utility. So if that's the case and utility is going to really increase over the period of like, whether it's staking utility, gas token utility, whatever, um, if that's going to increase in the next, like, let's say three years, and let's assume we're in a bear market in three years, um, then that could be a really good thing for Chainlink in terms of putting in a higher low for that season. Mm Because like, if you look at ETH, and BTC and whatnot, you know, dropping, I think ETH dropped like 80% from the top last season. And the previous season before that, it was like a 93% or 95% drop from the top. If you want to see Chainlink only do, say, an 80% drop from the top, <clears throat> you know, and, you know, maybe drop from a high of, you know, 143 or 240, these higher fibs, and you want to see that drop like, you know, only 70% instead of that, you know, Maybe it only drops to the all-time high of $53 next time. That would be super hyper bullish. That would imply that people are buying the link token and holding it and expect to use it for something um, or protocols are buying it to use it for something or whatever, right? And so if you see that happening, that would be bullish for the next cycle. Um, It's a good way to to think about it, at least. The future look. Yeah, I agree. And... You know, another interesting thing about Chainlink is that, you know, I've met and I know a lot of people in the space and I find it pretty funny that there's so many that are very, very intelligent. They don't want anything to do with owning Chainlink. Um, And I think it's gone through such a period where there's just been so much misdirection, misinformation you know, and, and lack of utility. That's, that's true and real, but you know, I don't mind owning something that I believe is going to have utility during a period of which it doesn't have much utility. Uh, obviously I feel it's better to pick something up then, uh, than once it has the utility in place. I'm not sure if there's like a, like a really good FUD list, by the way, for link, you know, every chain has its FUD, like reasons why some of it's a lot of that, a lot of FUD can be true FUD. Fear, uncertainty, and doubt can be like real fears, real uncertainties, real doubts. So yeah. if someone has a list of those, it'd be nice to be like go through them and just sort of like um, temper our enthusiasm if there are real concerns. Like like some of the ones you hear are Sergey's dumping on us, which you know the company does sell tokens. We know that, but then again, so do validator networks for proof of stake, right? So you know, Chainlink just has a different style of expense. They expense the by selling some tokens, whereas validators on like Cosmos chains sell, you know, sell the actual token to keep the chain alive um, or miners sell tokens to keep mine tokens alive. Right. So yep. some, some selling happens and, and someone did an analysis where they said like 
Chainlink's sell pressure from that is not that different from many other chains in that respect. So it's not like if you look at it as a level playing field, because let's face it, if you're not buying Chainlink, you're probably buying some other crypto. So the question is, do some other crypto have much, much better tokenomics? Maybe, maybe not. Um, did you so did you ever read piece. did you ever read the the full Zeus Capital short report on Chainlink? Oh no, what did they say? You want to pull that I mean, up? Do you have it in front of you? Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but I will look it up and send it to you. It's from a couple of years back, um, and it's funny because I, some of I'll the, see if I can find it while we're talking. Um, yeah, it's um, I believe if you type Zeus Capital Chainlink report or something like if you Google something like that. You can probably find it still. I'll look that um, up. And, you know, some of the things in that report have already been, I would say, proven incorrect. But it's funny to go back and look through some of that because at the time... There we go, yeah. Zeus Capital, you know, the fraud or whatever. But but Zeus also, their their thing is to basically produce FUD to short things, I think, isn't it? Isn't that their thing? I would like, say that's, it how, they, that's how they make money, sort of. Am yes. I wrong? But I think some of it has taken hold, and I see a lot of it still regurgitated. Um, so a lot of the things that I see out there are not—they're not really legitimate. I mean, it's just like the the, the token dumping stuff, yeah, like you said. I mean, everybody else in the space is doing the same thing to fund, you know, node operators and scale their network. But when Chainlink does it, it gets a different kind of noise. See, I found the Zeus Chainlink fraud exposed report, whatever that means. Um, let's see, potential upside, potential downside, 99.1%. This was when it was at a price of $7.95 in July 2020. This is quite a while back. Um, yep. So let's see what kind of uh, items they have. Lack of decentralized, blah, blah, blah. Absolute dissonance of price action. Addressable market expected to be blah, blah, blah. Mm, they did a pretty extensive sort of look at this, and they maintain a strong sell at $7.95. So they pretty much fucked that up pretty badly. Oh, yeah. Um, that was genuinely very wrong. <laughs> so anyone that followed this report got fucked um, since they the, the price did like a 7x from that moment, that time. Um, now, like, you know, Chainlink dropped to like five bucks. So technically they weren't wrong eventually. But the, the thing is, like, the way that um, they were describing this was the node networks with the Oracle contracts, data sources. And at the time that this report was written, the only thing that Chainlink was really expected to be good for was, um, like, they're, they're only supposed to be good for is oracles. And here's their bottom line. Chainlink is attempting to tailgate and capitalize on the fad surrounding smart contracts' inability to interact with resources outside the blockchain. By the way, this is 2020 for everyone's, like, just tuning in here. Um, on top of being far from fully functional with vital features not expected to be delivered anytime soon, the underlying architecture of the project fails to address key issues like security, alignment of in participants' incentives, and timeliness of information delivery. We argue that Chainlink Network's Network is yet another unnecessary intermediary, the purpose of which to promote and support the link, a pointless utility token whose only use case at the moment is speculative trading enrichment of a certain group of people, namely the founding team. All of that is basically true as of 2020. So, <laughs> so if you read this, 
this is the reason why I didn't go. Like, I had some chain link um, during that time, um, uh, especially in my dad's account, and I ended up um, selling it at like fifty bucks, right about fifty, around the time he developed leukemia. So I, I remember this like explicitly because it was his account. That's where most of the chain link was sitting. Outside of that, I wasn't really sure how Chainlink was going to do at the time. So I wasn't like a hardcore link Marine. I traded it a bit in my own account, but basically, um, you know, wrote it more or less to the, the, just about close to the top, uh, in my dad's account. And then, um, you know, at the time I had these same concerns. I was like, wait, the token doesn't actually do anything. There's no value accrual mechanism, yada, yada, yada. So they weren't wrong about some of these claims at the time. What's different between then and now is that like the, um, the concern then was that these, this was just going to simply enrich the team. Maybe um, it was just pure vaporware. These, this is not a serious team. And, you know, they're just going to you know, sell your coins and make a bunch of money and walk away. Um, page 39, they call. You're disconnecting there a bit, man. Uh, yeah, you, you're back. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, page 39, they call into question some of the partnerships, including SWIFT. Yeah, like level of sophistication and headcount of the multi-billion dollar chain link resembles an underdeveloped mom-and-pop shop. We believe the chief marketing officer's intentional efforts to avoid association with chain link, the lack of physical presence apart from co-working space, and the cosmetic changes in the underlying code reveal intention of people behind the product, project to milk foolish. One page to milk the foolish investors until one day the whole project will disappear. <laughs> Even if we are wrong and smart contract employees generally want to develop and operate the network, we doubt that people without blockchain and commercialization expertise could pull a project of the magnitude reflected in Link's market cap. One page below that. There you go. Um, let's see. Below that was like announcements and partnerships. Partnerships. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Google, Gartner, IC3, Swift. Um, so ultimately they did meet with all these groups, um, and Swift and DTCC's websites both reflect, you know, some of the experimental stuff that's being done behind the scenes now. So yep. while this was sort of like the FUD article of the day, um, the vast majority of it, um, is essentially unfounded at this point. Not only over the years has Chainlink been a absolutely like um essentially like by and large bulletproof oracle service um it has increased the possible ways that link token holders can get um real yield in the form of like you know staking to various networks so that sort of uh, you know addresses the concern about the supply they have actually sold link tokens which you know that's you know part of how these sort of ICO style coins actually were built. Um, hell, like even Ethereum and other founders have plenty of their own tokens that they could sell if they'd like. So the reality is that almost all of the 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 altcoins are some sort of you know many of them are um, software as a service type systems, and they have implicit securities baked in, meaning like owners can sell coins and stuff. So <clears throat> that's not really new, but the plus side here is that like for Chainlink over the last four years or whatever, they have continued to build, they continue to create the kinds of infrastructure necessary to do things like DTCC and Swift. The new CCIP system works and um, is, you know, 
like rolling out on lots of different um, layer twos and such. That's looking really interesting. It's it looks like the capabilities are um, potentially better than what chain. I'm sorry, IBC on Cosmos has, which is also very interesting. Um, so I think the a lot of the FUD has been addressed. Um, over these last years, I mean, I don't know if you have any other comments to this regard, but um, no, not really. But you know, they were pointing out like that a fair amount of, you know, oh, they were pointing out link short selling options. <laughs> so the yeah. thing is, like, if these guys were short and they're basically trying to get other people to short, um, then you know that it's like you have, but they did disclose that they were net short, so it's not like they were like making a secret of it. That they're basically like acting like some sort of you know whistleblower type you know company and whatever and and to be fair like a lot of early crypto projects um, were largely kind of vaporware and um, you know it wasn't really clear what would be accomplished by those chains like EOS and some others are good examples of that so there was a lot of that at the time um, but um, and you know even to this day like I'm not sure how much. XRP and Quant and some of these other companies doing similar things have accomplished. Right. Um, you know, so I, I think to be fair, like to get into do things for Swift and DTCC, man, that shit stays vaporware for a really long time. Cause man, like changing a global financial system could take well over, you know, a decade or two to build the software necessary and the robustness necessary that those companies are going to trust you. So the reality is like, um, the interesting thing is those were partnerships and things that were announced way back in 2020. Um, and um, I think what happened was a lot of the users um, said, hey, where it all, how come this shit never materialized? Why is my coin price down? Why am I sitting here, you know, with my, I, I bought, you know, Chainlink at 20 bucks and now it's at five. And like, you know, why am I being fucked over by this system? I could have been in the stock market or something else making giga gains. Like, what are you guys doing? So the, I think that the, it's like anything else, like the hype in the previous bull market and the bull market before that, you know, exceeded the immediate expectations. And that's just sort of part of the, the, the nature of this sort of stuff. And even to this day, like you could argue that Chainlink's value at whatever 10 billion is theoretically overvalued for what it does. So the thing is, a lot of that is speculative multiple. Um, you know, it doesn't need to be worth $10 billion to do whatever it does, right? It's like, this is just not the case. And um, and so speculative multiples are part of this game. And the thing about the people that uh, over right curve this stuff, you know, like, you know, make these gigantic technical papers and whatever, they just realize they don't realize that the the, the crypto investor doesn't give a fuck. Like they, they just don't. Right. They just show up and start buying shit based on narrative. So you have to be careful with over right curving these things. Sometimes a lot of times the dimwits are more correct. Um, when it comes to like, just buy the thing and just see what happens, <laughs> I mean, you know, and that's where we are again now, I think. Um, but with a two year consolidation or one and a half year consolidation of link between five to nine dollars, I mean, the, you've had one and a half year for the market to speak about what they think Chainlink is worth. And the market has spoken and they've consolidated and put a floor in it about, you know, you know, like a nine dollar floor or whatever, you know. So at this point. Um, I think like after that type of extensive consolidation, there's room for bullish moves because we have a good floor in place. So, you know, like, for example, if a buyer picks up Chainlink today at 1830 and the thing dumps to $12, you know, which, you know, these things can happen. Um, the odds that you're going to find buyers below that level are pretty good. 
And so that floor is sort of set and now speculators come in and they start putting in leverage and start playing games. It's just how this thing, you know, it's just how this thing works. But yeah, like interesting stuff with this. Um, yeah, this Zeus Capital article is quite a, long, a while back, but no doubt like those things create like a mind virus in people's head. Um, and, but the thing is like a lot of people that are in the crypto space, they don't understand fucking like nothing about, you know, business development or whatever, like, you know, like how did, what does it actually take to build partnership with these giga, giga companies or giga organizations that run all the world's money? It's like, it's not a minor thing. It's also not a minor thing to make claims that you're trying to do this and people speculate on those claims. So one argument could have been made that like Chainlink should say nothing and not talk about those things. But the problem is, you know, insiders are going to know that those things are happening, right? Like, let's say Sergey's talking with Swift or DTCC or whoever, and they don't say anything. This is like, these are pretty large sort of open source projects, you know, you know, loose, loose slips sink ships or whatever. These are not corporations that, you know, have like, you know, sworn secrecy and shit. So the reality is people are going to hear about that shit anyway, and the rumor's going to fly whether or not the company says something or not. So if the company officially says it, people are going to be bitching that, that those partnerships haven't actually resulted in real world impact to the link token price or maybe like, you know, actual implement, implementation. If you don't say something, then it's just like rumor and innuendo floating around. So you don't really win with these comms issues. Um, like, you know, it shoots you in the foot if you say something. It shoots you in the foot if you don't say something, like catch twenty two or whatever. So that's the idea behind, like, that's my thought behind comms. You know, and this is a problem for every blockchain. Like, there's nobody that doesn't suffer from this. And the other problem is if you don't have interesting real world vision that you're going to be comfortable announcing, then the problem is what developer is going to fucking come work for you, or what you know volunteer community is going to shield your thing for you or whatever the reality is like to some extent in crypto um sort of like the shilling of vaporware is sort of part of the process <laughs> like back in the 19 like 90s for example if you had some video game that you um posted on the internet you were going to produce you showed a few graphics and said hey we're going to produce this new rpg that thing may or may not ever materialize, but the only thing that you lost as someone who saw that is you never lost any money because you never invested in that company. Now the difference in crypto is you can make claims about having a video game coming out in a year, 10 years or whatever, throw out a coin and hope everyone buys the coin, pumps your token, and then use that token to sell, to fund your video game development. So the security, like getting access to capital markets to, for securitization has resulted in a whole lot of grift in the crypto space, right? Obviously, everyone come up with some, some white paper, they claim they're going to do some sort of world-bending thing or some mega video game and never materializes, or maybe it's just not as impressive as you thought it was going to be, or it doesn't produce any token value or something like that. Um, so lots of those things are out there. So it's not surprising that early in the crypto space, people were sort of like critical of companies like Chainlink who, and Sergey was very early to this whole game, right? He's pretty early to the crypto experience. Um, you know, Chainlink's been working on their products since when? I don't remember, was it 2012 or 20, I think 2012, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, that sounds right. When it was just smartcontract.com. Uh -huh. Yeah, it was, it's like way back. And um, so I don't know the exact history of Chainlink. I wasn't, I wasn't paying attention to them back in those days. But the point is, like, you know, it they've been around a bit. And so I think one thing that Chainlink has done is that they have achieved a respectable status. 
I think any major blockchain that wants a credible Oracle service, albeit expensive, but wants a really good quality service or a centralized exchange that wants Oracle services, they're going to get a quality product out of Chainlink. So we know that. Um, we know Sergey and the gang continued to develop and didn't run away, didn't hide, didn't basically like, you know, have the token go to zero because they didn't produce anything. They continue to have big conferences, a lot of development, builders, whatever, um, you know, GitHub, you know, like stuff. Um, so I think like I'm, I'm pretty happy with, in my mental space, I'm pretty happy with uh, where Chainlink is today versus where it was in 2020. I'm, I'm actually more bullish at this price today. I'm way more bullish at this price today than I was at this exact same price this time in 2024. Like that's that's my take on it. Like, and I was here. I'm sorry, in 2020. I, I and I was there buying in 2020 and 2019, and gambling on you know chain link price action and stuff and whatever. But like, and and you know we did okay. We 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 were net positive on our gamble in uh, like buying buying low, selling high. Essentially, um, I did not know what chain link would do. Like, I had no idea when it when I sold at 50 that that was the top. I thought it could probably go higher. I had to sell to sort of manage my father's estate um, because like he wasn't sure if he's going to live or not. Um, fortunately, he's alive today, but uh, we weren't sure about that time. So I actually sold all of his um, crypto assets in order to sort of like deal with some of that shit. Um, and at the time, I had no idea I was selling the top. Like I, I did had no idea that it would drop from there. And, I, and by that point, remember, like FTX and all that shit had not happened. We're talking 2021 sometime, like late 2021, I think, or whatever, uh, no, mid 2021. And all those things hadn't happened yet. And the crashes hadn't happened yet. And I didn't know that Chainlink was going to bleed down to fucking $5 or whatever. <laughs> like I had no idea. So what I did is at, at the FTX crash, um, and after the like sort of like the you know near the bottom in in 2022, um, what I did was I bought some chain link at I think it was like seven bucks or something, and I figured eh you know it's dropped far enough like it'll probably pull a three x from there and hit twenty one dollars maybe it'll do it within a few months I figured it would have a gigantic pop why because oftentimes in crypto you know following really really deep dumps like. Chainlink had, you usually have a big pump right afterwards, like a V-shaped sort of recovery. That didn't happen in the crypto space because fear was rampant and people weren't buying anything. So I became a bag holder of um, some Chainlink at seven bucks at, uh, you know, early 2022. And um, I figured like, okay, it'll probably pop back to 21 and I'll sell it if it hits 21 and I'll be a quick 3x. <laughs> like, I thought it was going to be like a 3x in three months. And, um, and I became a bag holder of Chainlink and I'm like, fuck it, I'll just let it sit there. Uh, maybe it'll go up, you know, as the new bear market, bull market comes at some point in the future. And I waited and I waited and I waited and like, um, you know, one and a half years passes by. Um, I wasn't one of the people that bought sort of like 30 bucks and I had to wait, so, you know, whatever. And, um, and it would kind of make these little pops in $9 or $10 and it would dump back down again. And, um, but, you know, my thesis was if it runs, it'll run to 21 almost without, you know, like not too much concern. It's just typical crypto price action. It wasn't even like anything fundamentals. At the time, I had no concept of what the fundamentals for Chainlink were, were what they were going to be. I really didn't give a shit. Like truly like the reason I bought Chainlink is because A, I felt like it was unlikely to go to zero. I had worked with blockchain projects like Terra and others and like watched what kind of implementations they were doing for Oracles. And it's like, okay. 
you know, the go-to choice was Chainlink if you're going to get a, like a legit, legit service. And Terra almost incorporated Chainlink before the, the fucking crash. So I understood like what was going on there. So anyway, I knew that Chainlink was sort of legit. It wasn't one of these things that I, I was too concerned about, you know, gambling on. And um, so I bought it. And then like, as this year came along, um, you know, late or, or this last year, 2023, um, I wasn't paying attention at all to what Chainlink was doing. Um, I wasn't paying attention to their SmartCon. I wasn't paying attention to the Bankless episode, whatever. I just wasn't really tuned in heavy at the time to anything Chainlink related. Really didn't give a shit. And then I noticed like a lot of different interesting posts were coming out on Twitter re regarding what was said at SmartCon in September. And sort of, you know, as I started thinking about that, I decided to buy some more Chainlink. I bought some at like, I think it was like eight bucks or something. And I'm like, yeah, I think it's going to break out finally because there's a lot of news coming out, a lot of interesting shit coming out. I know enough about the, you know, I'm not a coder or whatever, so I don't have, I don't sit around, um, you know, analyzing code. But I know enough about crypto systems to know what is needed and what isn't. And when I saw kind of all these interesting new announcements that Chainlink made and reviewed them from SmartCon, I'm like, all right, I'm going to go in heavier. Um, and then like after this most recent run up or like uh, on the way up, I picked some more, I think my average is like 12 bucks. I bought some more at 15, I believe uh, right around there. So I got, I got more conviction as more of these things started materializing. I started reviewing more and sometimes, you know, we're late to the party a little bit. We should invest more early, but we don't because we don't have the time to do the research or what have you. Um, so I'm guilty of that here and I chased the price up a little bit. So my average is like 12, we're at 18 now. So um, some of my position is long-term capital gain level, like year and a half or whatever, but a lot of it is um, a, a relatively new position. So, you know, why did I do that? Because like after reviewing all of the top, you know, uh, many of the top coins, it's like, um, I don't necessarily want the highest gains. I want the thing that I'm not going to get wrecked on as far as like losses. Cause I had to put a lot of money in um, my, my, my plan was to buy with size. So like, this is not with leverage or anything else, just spot bags, but large amounts. So I figured Chainlink was a good like risk benefit ratio. And um, I think I'll be proven to be correct on this one. Just because like, even if half the shit that they do material doesn't materialize for a couple of years from now, it won't matter because in a bull market, the narrative drives the market, right? And the AI narrative, people are bored of that shit. People are, maybe there's some real world asset narrative, whatever. The point is Chainlink's interesting and that has all of the narratives. It has anti-AI technology, it has privacy stuff, it has Oracle things, it has um, um, identity stuff that they're working on, it has cross-chain connectivity they're working on, it has, you know, NFT interconnectedness that they're working on. So really, like, um, I see Chainlink as kind of like um, a, a master of everything, kind of, but it's on the same time not an actual blockchain. So you don't have the problems of scalability, you're not going to have to have, like, layer twos, Essentially, like parallel layers is what Chainlink is all about, parallel node networks. So I feel like it's scalable. You're not going to get FUD from that. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think like at this point, the, the sources of FUD are relatively small compared to all of the interesting news. That's, that's my bull case for, for Lincoln, why I went heavy into it and that, like how I got this far with it. But Camilo, go ahead, man. Yeah. Hi, guys. Um, very interesting what Shad was um sharing about this report so while you guys were speaking i was actually doing some research and there's there's actually a, um a post in medium you can search it on google called 
debunking the Seuss Capital Disinformation Report on Chainlink. Yeah, it's an anonymous and fraudulent entity going by the name of Seuss Capital. Because if you if you do a quick search for Seuss Capital, the top top result is a UK entity, which is pretty legit. But this one is Seuss-Capital.com, which is a fraudulent anonymous entity. And if you if you go into this website, I'm I'm telling you about the medium one called debunking the Seuss Capital Disinformation Report. It's pretty uh, deep on explaining why this report was a um, coordinated attack against against Chainlink. Um, you know yeah. they have yeah. Terrible. These are short sellers that are just basically throwing butt in the market just for fun. Yeah, there's, exactly. Zeus has done this for other stuff too, by the way. <laughs> so it's not unique. oh really. Yeah, but I believe they were involved with some of the Terra. That might have been some of the same people that like mm, shorted Terra as well. Although we know now that like a lot of that shorting on Terra was done by saying Sam Bankman-Fried and um, Alameda particularly um, in coordination with like producing shorts for FTX. But yeah, Zeus Capital is another one of these like um, groups. But yeah, there's definitely some P. There's a lot of um, there is significant PVP in the crypto space. Don't you know, no doubt about that. There are some people that want to short your token yeah. and um, want to take advantage of those, create those dumps. So, yeah, it's they, they try and present like uh, a, a report that at the first look, it looks very legit and, and very complete, but it's actually yeah. just bullshit. Yeah, it, <laughs> a bunch of pictures of, yeah. It's not that like some of their claims were not wrong though. Um, there is some basis in, in like the concerns that they had in 2022, like those are some of the similar concerns that a lot of people have. So I think they took pre-existing FUD concerns and they sort of amplified them to their advantage. But I think the on the plus side, if you look back now, 20 now we're in 2024, a lot of that stuff turned out to be just like yeah, baseless noise. Yeah, they turned out to be an actual legit company. They're not just some grifters. And they are actually producing interesting stuff. Um, so, you know, and then the partnerships now with integrations with Optimism and Arbitrum and GMX and a lot of um, very, very busy layer twos and, and, and dApps tells you that there are people that think that CCIP is useful and interesting. And people are, in fact, interested in implementing it. At, so at some point, um, you know, as that sort of full mainnet goes into play, the use of Link as a universal gas token is going to be, make a lot of sense for a lot of projects to be able to cross-chain convert from one asset to the other without having to have a DEX, essentially, right? Because what will happen is, is that the Oracle network will convert your, let's say, you know, Kujira token. Let's say your Kujira is connected to CCIP. It'll connect your Kuji token, swap it at the Oracle rate for the equivalent amount of Link, uh, convert that Link to the equivalent amount of whatever and then you know pay for the um you know and basically pay for the um like you know coin that you want on the other end which might be like arbitrum tokens or something right so the, the ability to do this all on the back end is going to be very interesting um and the use of it as a trading intermediate and a gas token could be very very interesting so a lot will be happening there i think um like the crypto space needs that product so let's forget about how good the product actually is. You know, I'm not, 
you know, sufficiently qualified to tell you like how useful CCIP is currently to, to protocols that have implemented it. That'd be a question. Like if we get people from Arbitrum or someone on, they can kind of elucidate this a little bit. Um, if anyone knows anyone from Arbitrum or Optimism that um, is a core dev, like message them, I'll talk to them. But um, basically the, the way we would know how good those implementations are is to ask those um, particular groups. The last AMA I, I listened to with Chainlink that had GMX on, the GMX folks were talking about how the Chainlink Im implementation was like integral to the functioning of their, their perps platform. Um, cause perps platforms require like really good, um, Oracle services for understanding like futures contracts and these types of things. Um, cause obviously price, the actual price of the asset is really, really important to make those kind of systems work. Right. Um, but they, they were talking, they were speaking well about, um, you know, speaking good news about Chainlink in terms of their experience with it. So that was kind of a good plus side for me. Um, so yeah, the more, the more protocols that say, oh yeah, CCIP works, you know, it works like smoothly, you know, it's bug free, you know, there's no obvious reason for it to get hacked and have problems. All of these kinds of things will be bullish. Um, bearish things might be, and these are kind of risks are like, if something bad happens to CCIP and a lot of FUD comes out because of it, well, guess what? Your coin price is going to drop. Like, because remember when your coin price is like 90% speculative price any negative news will lead to like crushing price differences like you'll see a 30 percent drop in a day or stuff like that when you have fud in a speculative environment this is true in the stock market too by the way like for example tesla stock today god forbid if something happens to elon musk your stock price is going to suffer big time it'll probably drop like 80 percent from the current price so that's a risk you take as a tesla holder in that there are some um you know, it's like there are some things in a speculative multiple that will cause that to deflate if um, bad news were to hit the investors and they were to start worrying about the value of their the value of their asset. So anyway, um, so yeah, it's like um, like hopefully no one's you know sitting around accusing me of being like you know like only saying the positive things, only being bullish. I'm usually balanced about these things, but a lot of times like these things don't come across really well in tweets and whatever. So, you know, like during these conversations and stuff, you'll say bearish things, bad things that can happen to a chain or its price. And no one will ever remember those. Like, don't be like, Oh no, you made me buy it. You pumped the thing. You said it was amazing. And, um, you said it was going to go to X price and whatever. I'm like, like, this is all just gambling guys. Like just, that's all it is. Like you just, you're just gambling on um, a lot of things. You're gambling on the success of uh, a blockchain. You're gambling on the success execution of those teams you're gambling on adoption, you're gambling on everything. Like there's nothing in life that isn't a gamble. And um, the price of anything you buy can get go down a lot after you buy it. <laughs> Chainlink is especially notorious for dumping hard, by the way. So like, and I don't know if that's like, quote unquote, Sergey selling that causes all of those dips. But if you just go back to, to Chainlink's um, chart, you'll notice that like, there is like volatility where I'll give you an I'll just give you an example. Um, May 2013, 2022, you had a price about $5.54. Um, that was in May. Then the next month in in June 9th, by June 9th, you had a price of $9.60. So let's say you thought you were, oh yeah, we're going to break out, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be going up. And then you're like, oh shit, 
then it drops back down to $5.29 again, right? So like that's, a, that's almost a 50% haircut within the course of weeks, weeks, not even months. Like it's like really short. And then it runs back up to 9.42 again, and that's by August. And then it dips, you know, in the same month in August down to $6. So the reality is you, you need to be like prepared on these coins for solid um, 80% drops. Um, but at the very least, like 50% would be routine. Um, even back in um, April of 2023, you hit a price of like $5.78. And this was like the fourth retest of a, or one, two, three, four, five, sixth retest of a FIB level. And it got rejected yet again and dropped from there to $4.78. That was a low for the season. Um, so it put a new low in and you're like, holy shit, what's going on here? And then you figure, oh, maybe that new low is like just the, you know, you're going to get even lower low because you had literally like six rejections of the previous FIB. It was almost certain that we were going to crash. And, and so I didn't add any at that point because I'm like, who the fuck knows it's going to happen to this damn thing. And then, um, and then of course, like it, it pops again to about 840 and then it dumps yet again to $5.70. So you can see how like how volatile this is. So even though Chainlink today is like 1840 or whatever, like, you know, if you drop down to 12 bucks and you would, if you would ask me if I, I would be shocked about by that, I'd be like, no, not really. <laughs> like, it's just normal for this damn thing to go crazy volatile. Give me one minute. Someone's at the door. All right. Um, yeah. So uh, expect volatility, um, but you just don't know where those dips are going to emerge. But Chainlink has a lot of them. And even on the way up, just expect like very high volatility. So I think if we reach um, the kind of like high targets, which would be, you know, getting to prior high, especially if Bitcoin reaches its prior high in the next few months, which is quite possible. Um, if Chainlink runs to like 102, 143, 234, just expect just crazy volatility in that range. So if you have a giant bag like I do at this point, like I will see my portfolio go up and down by lots of money on any given swing. So it's like, um, you just have to get used to that shit. Um, and that's just part of life with this. Um, Chainlink was very, like, it shook out people big time in 2019. Like, 2019, 2020, you had swings that were like, oh, 450, and then $1.40, and then $3, and then $1.60, and then $5. And you're like, oh, it looks like it's going to pump. It's reached prior high. Fuck no. Another dump to $1.40. You're like, what in the hell? I mean, like the chart looks just absolutely brutal if you go back and look. Like Chainlink has never been an easy thing to hold as some kind of diehard because every time it dumps, you're like, fuck. <laughs> like, it, it looked like it was going to break out and it didn't again. Um, what is this nonsense? So it, it, Chainlink is really good at like tricking you into thinking like the chart looks really good and it dumps anyway. So that's the warning, I think. Like even right now, the chart looks really great. Like, you know, you have this consolidation period for, you know, a period of like, you know, a few months. And now it looks like it's broken out a little bit. And um, maybe it'll just start running like, you know, back in 2021. Maybe it won't. Or fuck, maybe it'll go sideways for a year and a half. Who the hell knows? Uh, and by sideways, I mean, like, you know, dipping up and down by 50%, um, you know, $18 to $9 to $18 to $9. Who the hell knows? Um, this has happened with Chainlink a lot um, historically. So, um, the, the bullish side of this would be that we have a lot more news now coming out and a lot more narrative and usually news and narrative drive crypto. So if I had to guess, like, you know, do we have good upside? I think we do. The other thing too, is Google trends shows that we're barely trending. 
for search hits um, on on this. So that means that like the number of people taking on um, you know a lot of newbies coming in has still you know is still at a minimum, and therefore like we don't have that much froth in the chain link market just yet. Um, is kind of my take on that. Plus, it's like it's up against resistance on ETH and BTC charts, and if you look at the BTC chart, it's performed a gigantic, um, like W shape, essentially, um, kind of an inverse head and shoulders type of thing over a period of like two years. So it looks ready to break out in the BTC chart here, um, which is why you're seeing some like price volatility happening as people start placing their bets. But um, man, you just never know with this thing. You, you could dump any time by 50% and you shouldn't be shocked at all. But yeah, go ahead, man. Hello? Yeah, you're fine. Go ahead. Camilla, can you hear me? Mm, I'm having an issue with this mic. Yeah, if anyone has any um, chain link comments one way or the other, um, hop on up, like throw me some FUD or th tell me about some good news or whatever it is. Um, it's interesting to hear people's opinions about it and stuff. Um, you know, are you a buyer here? Are you a hold? Are you a seller? Like, you know, what are your thoughts on what are people doing trading wise with this thing? It'd be nice to hear some opinions. Mm. Technically speaking, I could sell here with a pretty substantial, um, you know, positive, but I feel like it's still too early for that. Um, messing around with selling anything. And I'm a bit more comfortable with the idea of like probably just simply holding till a bare minimum of like, $32, $31.60 is like my, my fib level. $31, reassess, maybe let it run to prior high um, as a possible target to maybe sell some, maybe. Um, but also depends on what the rest of the market's doing. We haven't seen any real serious market FOMO yet. So, um, yeah, it looks like we had a little bit of like BTC dip just now and it dragged everything else down with it. So, like, I see a bunch of red now suddenly. Do you think the. If the Swift thing goes well, that would be like a major win for for Chainlink, right? Because Swift is the global uh, network for yes. payments for banking. So if you have if you have like Swift connected, then what that implies is that now you have a straight trajectory for a someone like DTCC to interact with Swift, so that if you buy a stock. You can immediately buy it from your bank account via Swift, and you can get issued a token asset in stock directly within the CCIP uh, layer zero. And then you can then use that asset and move it to anywhere else you want that has CCIP enabled. And so if Swift is enabled with CCIP, if DTCC is enabled with CCIP, what that implies is everybody in the crypto space is going to have to incorporate Chainlink pretty much immediately. That would be the bull case. Um, and the bull case would be like giga bull case. We're talking about like, could it actually be bigger than Ethereum? The answer is yes. So that's where the like, that's where it's like, if you're a gambler here and you're like, you know what, fuck this. I'm, I have a bag, you know, I don't want to fumble the next Amazon or Apple or something. And maybe they have the potential to get there. Um, I would say like in the totality of the crypto space, how many blockchains actually even have that potential right now? Like, you know, had Luna UST not crashed and, you know, they got their shit in order and were able to collateralize UST, that could have been gigantic because, like, we know that stable coins have a gigantic addressable market. And that was an example of, like, a reason why uh, Luna UST 
like why Luna Moon so high because expectations are running really high. Of course, you know, it went to zero because like, not exactly zero, but you know what I mean? It, like it crashed because um, basically, you know, you know, that system didn't work out, but it wasn't that the idea wasn't big. The idea was big and the idea was important. Chainlink's idea is big and important, but doesn't have like a center, central point of failure. That's the good part. But execution risk would be like speculators come in and say, oh, this thing's worth $100 billion. It turns out that the DCC, DTCC thing doesn't materialize or SWIFT thing doesn't materialize because they decide to go do something else. Then, of course, you have a problem, right? Where the speculative price multiples won't actually like make any sense, perhaps. Um, so whoever SWIFT connects with, whoever DTC connects with ultimately, may, like let's say it's not Chainlink, it's whoever, it, the assumption would be that whatever protocols those are, most blockchains are going to want to you know, coordinate with those. And if the tech stack does not allow them to coordinate with those, then now you have to have like, you have to build whole new blockchains that are CCIC, you know, CCIP capable. And, um, it'll, you know, they'd have to start from scratch or not CCIP, but like whatever the, you know, whatever protocol they decide to use Swift or DTCC. So I think that, um, the banking sector is very much about tokenization. You heard Jamie Dimon talk about it. You heard Larry Fink talk about it. You heard like pretty much anybody in the crypto space believes that tokenization, not crypto, but in the traditional finance space, I think like 95% of people that are surveyed on one study suggested that, that like tokenization is going to be the future. What hasn't been fully cleared, it cleared up is, is Chainlink going to be that future? Um, and um, I think we just have to wait on that. Like, so the, 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 the speculative risk would be that that shit does not materialize or whatever, <laughs> like, you know, like um, it's like early Apple, for example, when the iPhone came out, you know, did everyone know for sure that was going to be the big thing? Did everyone know for sure that people, you know, customers were going to love touchscreens? Did everyone know for sure that, um, you know, developers were going to flock to the iPhone? Did everyone know for sure that iPhone 3 was going to be a dramatically better experience than iPhone 1 and therefore like really, you know, start exploding in capabilities? Was everyone for sure that people were willing to pay for, you know, fucking internet services on a smartphone? Um, you know, like, did the time come for that? Was everyone sure that cell, that cell networks were going to be built out for making things like the iPhone work? I remember when the iPhone came out and none of this shit was really clear. A lot of people just laughed at Steve Jobs and laughed at Apple. Like, oh, it's just not, you know, it's vaporware. It's whatever the fuck else. And, and like, look at us now sitting on our fucking iPhones, chit-chatting on this thing. And then we have a full competitor copy in the form of Android that was being developed as well. And like, you know, you know, the rest is history, right? So it's really tough to tell at that moment how much of the FUD um, regarding a product or it's like your investment in that product is real. Um, and that's where the gamble comes in. And the thing is like the speculative gamble is always where you can make a lot more money, um, but also lose a lot more money. You can make a lot more money if the future um, potential is much higher, right? So like the future potential is really high, but we don't know if they're going to execute. Um, it'd be like SpaceX or a Tesla or something, right? Like early Tesla was like, who the fuck knows if they're going to become a credible car manufacturer, right? I didn't believe it. Like I was in total disbelief. I didn't buy early Tesla. So I was wrong, right? Like I should have bought early Tesla. Like my wife said, told me to, and I didn't. <laughs> so um, I was wrong about early Facebook. Like I was, I remember when the price of uh, Facebook like fell in half after the IPO and I'm like, oh, see, I told you so. 
and my wife is like, you should buy some. And I didn't get some. And she was the one that using Facebook, using Facebook. I was not, I was wrong again. So there's like times where you're going to fudge something into like, you're going to right curve something into oblivion. I'm like, Oh, this is going to be the next MySpace. This is going to be the next Nokia. And you're simply not going to invest at all. I think the thing is like with really, really high stark ratio type of assets, things that could really multi do heavy multiples, like let's say Chainlink can go to a thousand dollars one day. Um, you probably want a little bit of exposure in it, right? Like you could probably have only uh, shit. You could have like, you know, 1% of your portfolio be chain link and you wind up, it could become like the thing that becomes, you know, and you know, 90% of your portfolio at some point in the future and outstrip everything. So with super high risk, high reward assets, it's all about having small amounts of exposure. You don't have to have heavy amounts. Um, if you're talking about just running a bull run, like, okay, I'm going to buy it. $12 and I'm going to sell it 140. Okay, fine. Like, you know, you, you have your thesis, you know, whatever. But if you're talking about as an investor, an investment, you probably want to go much smaller and just hold it forever. Like whatever amount that you think you don't have to ever look at again, that's the amount you should have probably when it comes to long-term thinking with these things. But like I said, if this is like legit be becomes, you know, the new financial system, so to speak, that blockchains turn out not to be the core element of the financial system. It turns out to be more node networks and whatnot in the future. We don't know, one, if Link is going to be that front runner, you know, like someone else is going to copy them or something. Well, maybe even some of the com companies we're talking to, like Swift and DTCC, maybe they come up with their own shit. And once you, you know, seen everyone else's shit, you could theoretically copy other people if you have a credible team. Um, so I don't really know, right? So these are all the risks that you don't know about. There's a lot of things that can happen in the future that um, affect the price of something you don't even know yet. Uh, what if ha something happens to Sergey Navarov? Is that going to be negative for the price of the coin? Absolutely, right? Like it's the same thing if something happens to Steve Jobs, you know, price of the the Apple stock dropped by like you know 50 percent or something um, as a result of his death. So like anytime you have centralization risks, like a founder, something happens, your your portfolio is going to get cut in half. You need to be accepting of that. So you shouldn't be buying crypto or anything else if you don't know how to deal with like the downside risk. Um, and, you know, you'll wake up one day and you're like, oh, fuck, you know, something happened to Sergey or he decided to quit Chainlink because he got upset or whatever. Like you never know or someone has a medical problem or whatever. Right. So as people get older, that's always a possibility. So you like you never know what can happen to founders or teams or what have you. The good thing about Chainlink now is um you know, hopefully it's becoming increasingly less founder dependent and a lot more development teams are building Chainlink that makes it robust in case something uh, bad happens to a founder. So smaller blockchains and such, you're going to have more of founder risk. Um, that would be like, for example, like let's say Kajira. Kajira has a relatively small team. Um, and if something were to happen, God forbid, then, you know, it's going to really affect your price action because a permission chain. It relies upon the team. You're actually investing in the team literally, right? Whereas, you know, that's not the case if you get sufficiently decentralized and sufficiently adopted and a lot of development is happening. So these are kind of ways to think about um, the risk. So like there's the bullish side of things and then there's like what could, what could bad happen? What bad could happen? Um, so uh, I think in the very short term, you know, I, I think I'm reasonably confident in you know, like Chainlink doing like around a, th you know, maybe a three X from here, you know, making it past its all time high a little bit. Maybe it, you know, meets resistance there and gets a sell off. I don't know. But I think that's a reasonable um, bet. Now, I also bet, remember, a year and a half ago 
that we'd go from like seven dollars to twenty one and didn't materialize until like fucking two years later. <laughs> so, you know, my track record in terms of guessing um, timing um, on Chainlink was not very good, and I and I misjudged, you know, how much money was going to flow back in at the time. So, um, you know, I'm going to turn out to be right in terms of like price action, but very very wrong in terms of timing for Chainlink. And I'm I'm comfortable with that. Like I don't have, I don't have a problem with it um, because what, the amount of money I put in at the time um, when it was like seven bucks or whatever was a reasonably reasonably sized bag that I wasn't too too concerned about you know it not I, I didn't need that money right away so I was and plus I bought it at you know, pretty much the bottom of the market right so you know I was less concerned that um, you know, my bag was going to get in trouble or whatever. And I think I added some too, like on several of the dips, I just, I kept adding. So I didn't buy it all at one time. I, I picked up multiple buys, I believe at $5 chain link, for example. Um, but I believe my average, I think, uh, is right around now it's like around 12 ish. Cause I got a bunch more at 15. So, um, you know, once I kind of like, you know, noticed that BTC was doing well and, the rest of the market was in shape, good shape. The Nasdaq was doing well, et cetera. I was like, okay, fuck it, let's go and get some more. So I bought a lot more at fifteen. And I think it's an acceptable buy even now. Like if I saw Chainlink's chart today and I didn't own any previously, um, this is definitely a chart I would be considering taking a bag and buying some. Um, someone mentioned yesterday Mina Protocol, M I N A, and I didn't know too much about it, and I still don't actually. I just sort of like saw the chart and I'm like, oh, you know what? It's got a pretty decent chart. It's got like, it's getting ready to break out of a previous, you know, bear market um, high and it looks pretty good. And um, I'm like, fuck it, I'm going to buy a bag. So I, I, I pick some up. <laughs> so sometimes I will pick something up just purely based on the technical. The chart looks good. I don't have any clue what the actual project is. I have no skin in the game in terms of like mental investment into the thing. And I have no problem with selling it if I make a 2X or something and just get out, right? Um, that's kind of how I, uh, envision or think about, um, like that purchase. But even if I bought Chainlink today, I think it's still acceptable at this price level. Not that I'm suggesting you guys do so it. You, have you seen Avalanche and do you think there's any comparison from the, from the technical analysis? They look pretty similar in the, in the recent growth and, uh, in the technology standpoint, do you think, and they're also very close in terms of market cap. Mm, yeah, um, Avalanche um, has um, run like it ran four fibs off its bottom. Um, so so far, let's just look at the kind of the the math here. Um, it bottomed out at about eight sixty four, and sort of topped out about fifty one. Pulled back to twenty seven, and now is kind of like. You know, it's created kind of a bull flag um, here at 37. So yeah, mm, it's got a nice chart pattern now. As far as like, um, you know, if one wants to pick it up, um, there's quite a few coins that have the exact same pattern though, like little bull flags. Um, Solana has the same pattern. Um, uh, Avalanche does, and some others. So yeah, does it have room to run? Probably so. Um, you know, like. You know, could I own some Avalanche here? Yeah, sure. I think the price, it's reasonable. Um, it was more reasonable, though, at when it was at 26, just like, um, you know, January 22nd. So I think um, 
something like Avalanche where you almost know for sure that price will go up eventually. Um, it would have been better off, you know, picking the actual, like getting some all the way to the bottom. I wasn't really paying attention to Avalanche. So, you know, I don't have like an optimized bag for it at this point. Um, um, I don't know, like part of it is like, I, I have a hard time following too many layer ones because there's so much news all the time. And um, between Solana and Avalanche or whatever, various Cosmos chains and such. Um, so I, I didn't really pay too much attention to it. But are you buying here or what are you doing with your Avalanche? You, you, have, you have something? Not forward. really, but, I, but I've seen it in recent years. It's been pretty popular. And at first I thought it was going to just uh, reduce in price and fall, but, but it looks like it's pretty steady. Well, I mean, it's it's gone through a retracement already. I mean, it dropped from 51 to um, 26. So it had a good pullback for sure. Um, I think where we are now, we're in this the typical disbelief rally before a new bull run. Um, and why, ever, what, why is it called a disbelief rally? Because nobody knows if we're going to have a bull run, right? That That legitimately is the... The reason why it's called the disbelief rally and it's not disbelief rally just in name alone like oh yeah everyone knows there's gonna be a rule run and therefore we're you know that we have this disbelief sort of look to the chart it's because truly nobody knows for sure if and when we're going to have a bull run at this point right that's the problem is the herd going to show up and be buying crypto in mass or not we don't know so if you believe that we're about to have a bull run you know happening in april we have etfs and all that shit and da 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 then this chart would be one like Avalanche's chart would be one that you'd probably be a buyer on, right? Um, even at 35, it's probably fair. It had a high, it had a top of 147 last season, and Avalanche has built more stuff this season than they had last season. So one could make the argument that you have a basis for reaching prior high at this point. The alternative hypothesis would be like um, last season's top was way too high. And that we won't reach that necessarily again. So, and if that's the case, we like the recent price of fifty dollars was one third of the way up to the previous high already. So then the question is like, is this the best place to park your money where you're going to get a good return on investment? That's that's the question. But from from this price to prior high, you have approximately a five x, uh, four and a half x, something like that. So probably a reasonable risk benefit here and um avalanche consolidated um like it did a pretty good job consolidating under the price of 21 dollars down to 850 so i think like um and then this recent dip it only dropped to 26 ish 27 so yeah i think you're pretty safe in the sense that like the low for avalanche if we have a dip will probably be 18 at the lowest um, it could double bottom here, a local bottom at 26, but outside of that, like I think 18 at the lowest should be your downside calculation. So as long as you're willing to accept like a $35 bag hitting $18, then yes, you can get some avalanche here. Um, and, and if you believe that this is just a disbelief rally and disbelief dump and that we're about to have a bull market, any of those price values would be good buys. So I think like if you pick up a bag today at 35, you'd have to be willing to pick up more, maybe double that bag at 27. And you'd need to be willing to like maybe get four times as much as at 18, 
that's how that's the strategy I would take exponential all the way down each fib. And then, um, yeah, I probably wouldn't save any for any entries below 18 bucks. I think it's unlikely to go below that if I had to guess. So that's kind of my take on that. Give me just a second. Let me answer a message from my phone. All right. Um, anyway, um, so anything else interesting, Camilla? Did you bought, own, um, have been watching some charts on or whatever? Um, still buying some Cadena. There was some recent news from, from Stuart Popejoy recently. Uh, one of his last tweets about the, the hash rate all-time high of Cadena. Mm -hmm. He says that the miners and community members who have helped strengthen the decentralization and security of the network. So, still some hopes with Cadena, but who knows? Have you used the Have you used the chain for anything at all? Like, have you done no, any DeFi really. there or anything? No, you just own the coin. Yeah, just owning the coin. Mm, okay. Yeah, I mean, it it had a little run, did its usual pullback like everything else, and um, yeah, chart like. Yeah, chart looks not bad. Like this is not a bad place to consider a buy, I suppose. Um, it's gone through sort of its capitulation dump starting in May, from like ninety-eight cents all the way down to forty cents, and then kind of came back and reclaimed that level, and now is sort of retesting that, um, just you know visually. So it looks like, um, yeah, it looks like a pretty good buy level at this point for Cadena. I don't like. I'm not really sure like how much capital they're going to attract this season um and what they accomplished during the the bear market to ensure that more capital flow is going to come in so i'm not i'm not really sure um yeah i think so i think far away from from all-time high may, might take years to get back to to 27 dollars yeah i mean the, their all-time high was just like this leverage fueled low liquidity giga pump so that that yeah. number what it would be hard like it's not that easy to reachieve it i would say especially because you have like more cadena tokens in the environment now because it's a mine token compared to before right because your circulating supply now is 262 million i don't remember what it was last time it hit all-time high so it may there may be a lot more token outstanding but yeah that first pump it just went to like a luna ust i mean an anchor ust fueled giga pump is what that was yeah, a lot of Luna members basically just went and borrowed off of it, and then like took leverage on KuCoin and went fucking crazy. Um, that's so that pump was like, you know, organic, but not organic in the sense that like it reflects the true tr reflected the true value of the blockchain at the time. But yeah, Cadena's market cap is only two hundred fifty two million, um, and um, fully diluted valuation is nine sixty one. So I would say like at this market cap and at this FDV, the more obvious like the more obvious play here would be um maybe Kajira at this level. Because the the token supply is much more um like you know it's like much more distributed at this point, I would say. Um whereas this has like a huge FDV for Kadena. So anyway, but Kajira already reached all time high. I think it was five dollars, right? At it did. Was... Yeah, it it actually went to a new high at five fifty, and then pulled back to it's like three dollars right now. So mm -hmm. its its chart looks pretty clean. The other thing too is remember, Kadena has resistance because there were people that bought it maybe at 
10 bucks or whatever and they still have they're holding on at you know you yeah. know at dollars so like the thing is there can be sellers all the way up with kajira the difference is, is there's not a whole lot of sellers waiting to sell it's a clean chart so that's the other reason why if i was picking between this and kajira today like legitimately i would be picking kajira over kadena and i already did that to a large extent um for for these reasons like you know but kujira you still participate in the liquidations or whatever is the system of kujira or you just no i just have the coin yeah i haven't been spending any time doing like actual DeFi shit i've been mostly just mostly just this season just buying coins and holding them for the most part i feel like it's the like i just want the honestly just want the tax simplicity i, don't, I can't be bothered with the headache of it all <laughs> yeah absolutely Yeah, I mean, uh, to me, it's like if, uh, if I can get like if I even get like a you know a chain link 10x at size, I'll be happy, more than happy, um, and will outperform most of my stocks and other shit that I bought. Like for me, having to find like serial 100x's and stuff, that's a harder thing to accomplish. Um, it's it's honestly a lot easier to make like I don't know a 5x this season wait a few years and make like i don't know another 5x the next season now you have a 25x like what like um that's that's a much more sane approach in many ways than you know trying to find a perfect um you know perfect outcome immediately what's what's the highest x you've you've gotten um let me think um uh luna Mm, I had early Apple, early Bitcoin. I have early um, Ethereum. Because mm, my Ethereum was like sub, like $100 or something. Um, I had, yeah. Uh, no, Luna, I was like a... Uh, Luna, I was like a, maybe a 30x or something. I bought it five mostly for Luna. Um, I've had like uh, early MasterCard, Visa. I don't know if those are 100xs though. Um, uh, I don't know if it's uh, over 10, if it's over 20 years ago, then definitely. Yeah. Apple. Yeah, I, got, or, I got the like, yeah. MasterCard IPO, for example. Wow. Uh, so bought it at the very beginning. Mm, yeah. The, uh, remember like, yeah, uh, all sorts of things, but I don't know about hundred X's. Like I don't go into things that early that often. So I would say like, The largest bag I have lately of a small cap thing would be Zephyr at the moment, for sure. Um, like, usually the problem is in the very micro cap stuff, it's very hard to detect what is going to be like the next 100x in a sense. And in the uh, like initial coin offering type market, like look at Celestia or Say Network and whatever, they release those with a high market valuation to begin with. So it makes it actually hard to get 100x on those things um, because they're not fairly, they're not fair launched. So the people that got into Casper really early, for example, did really well because it's a fair launched coin and they're, and they're really ahead with like an early buy. Um, I think Zephyr has that potential as well. So like, it's quite possible that my Zephyr bag will actually get to be substantially larger than my, um, uh, than my link bag. If for example, you know, it runs to like 
3 billion market cap or something like that, then for sure it's going to be bigger than what I put into my link, even if link 10 X or something. So it like, yeah, you can get some, a few small, maybe conviction, small caps, but here's the problem with small caps. Even if like for most people, even if you had a high conviction in one of them, like how much money you're legitimately willing to put into them, you're willing to put like a hundred grand in a million in. Right. So the reality is like, you're basically talking about, you know, a lot of people in small caps and stuff, they're putting in maybe a thousand bucks or, you know, something like that. And you can make a hundred, you know, a hundred X, maybe, maybe if you hold the entire time, but at the same time, you're only, you know, maybe you're pulling off a hundred thousand dollar, you know, bag, you know, in those smaller amounts, it's not, these are not life-changing amounts for most people. So the thing about hundred X's and stuff is like those types of opportunities do show up, but are you going to approach them at size? Um, and are you going to be confident or not? That's, that becomes the issue. Um, in fact, I have an example of one of those. Someone mentioned, um, a company, uh, called rocket something rocket labs. Um, let me pull it up real quick. I'll tell you what that is. It's a stock. Um, it's, uh, RKLB rocket labs. And, um, they, their, their, their price got crushed this week because they had to do another funding round for multiple hundred million dollars. Yeah. $300 million offering of convertible senior notes. But this is a company that's been shooting off rockets similar to SpaceX. And they're kind of like the SpaceX play, essentially. Like, you know, if these people do really well, right now they don't earn any money. So their chart is absolutely wrecked. In fact, their chart is at like almost near bottom or lower than it's been ever. So it's like at $3.97. So what did I do? I'm like, all right. I heard of space, people talking about it. That chart looks sufficiently wrecked. Fuck it, I'm going to buy some. So I bought a little bit. And if this thing 1000X is one day and these people are putting rockets on Mars or something, wonderful, right? It'll be like when I bought MasterCard and Visa. But I didn't put a gigantic amount of money in. We're not talking about like, oh yeah, I'm going to YOLO in my life savings hoping that Rocket Labs becomes the next SpaceX. I just didn't do this. So the thing about small cap things is um, it, it's going to be about, you know, what are you willing to risk at that level? And if your risk is small, your reward is small, but your losses are also small if it goes to zero, which, you know, I guess it could, could happen. Um, on the other hand, if it, it giga sends, you're gonna be like, oh, fuck, I should have bought more, right? Like, that's always how it's going to feel. So you just have to decide, like, what are you willing to lose? Uh, what are you willing to let go to zero? And I'm, I'm curious about this one. Like, I don't know if the bottom is in on Rocket Lab. So I bought like, I bought one share actually is what I bought. And like, it's worth $4 and it'll, it'll go in a market order like you know, tomorrow on Monday morning. And um, why did I buy that one share? So I can keep an eye on it. And, you know, like, I don't know that like the stock price is fully priced in this dilution that they had. And so I figured like, all right, let's see what this week holds in terms of how the market treats their dilution. And then maybe I'll go buy a sizable bag. You know, maybe I'll, you know, pay, you know, put 10,000 or something into this or something, just park it there forever and, um, and see what happens. Right. So like, it's a bag sizable enough that if they do a 10,000 X, like some of these defense manufacturers and stuff do over 10 or 20 years or 30 years, then great. Like, you know, big winner. On the other hand, um, that's an amount of money that I feel like a, not only can I afford to lose it, but I also feel like the maybe the, a lot of the losses in the stock have already played out. And my hope is that, like, you know, maybe I'm getting a decent deal 
uh, at a lower market cap. Um, and so therefore, even if I did have to sell that one day and lose some money, all right, fine. Like I'm down, let's say I'm down 50%. I lost 5k. All right, whatever. All right. I'll write it off and move on. So you have to just think about what you're willing to lose. Um, and, um, that's part of the game as far as like buying things for the long haul investing. Yeah. And right now the, the U S stock market is, is doing pretty well, right? It's like 25% up against last year. Mm -hmm. But do you think it's like peaking and maybe we can, we can come into another tough time? Oh for my God. Yeah. I don't, I, I have a hard time understanding like all the macro story, like On the one hand, there's like really bearish shit, like yield curves inverting and whatnot. And then there's other kind of stuff like, well, they printed a lot of money. And, you know, where does that money go? It goes in stocks and crypto and whatever, eventually. That money has to find its way into something. And then the problem is like real estate's super pricey right now because of interest rates. So people are like, fuck this. I don't, I'm not going to buy a house. I'm just going to go buy stocks or crypto or something because like, what the hell? Like, who, who's going to pay like, you know, 7% interest and buy a house that's too overpriced? Um, so... I think the thing is like a lot of people are, you know, maybe pouring into stocks and whatever, because it's just easier than they, they have money. They, they can't afford a loan. And they're like, fuck it. I'm living in this apartment. I got to do something with my money. Maybe they're buying stocks. I don't know. So I like, you know, on the one hand, it's like easy to be either. Um, stock markets are really hard thing to call in some ways. Like when I was really buying stocks, like last, not this last October, but like 2022 October through last summer, Stock valuations are really, really like wrecked. Um, and, um, you know, I came out ahead buying all of those things. Now we're kind of like more like, yeah, nearing highs. Maybe you have some more room in the tank to go, but like, I don't know. So I, I can't really, it's, it's hard to recommend anything right now. Like, but, but, you know, six months ago, you, you guys noticed I was posting stock charts, uh, sorry, stock charts, like, you know, every other day buying something or another. And I bought like, I think like 150 stocks or something like that. And most of them um, like have, have done okay in terms of, you know, some upside. I have some, some of those are still in the red, but it's okay. Most of them picked up and like, I've, you know, been making the dividends off of those. So I had a thesis, fine. Now, am I buying a bunch of stocks? Not really. Like unless someone says, oh yeah, you want to buy, you want to look into this or look into that, I'll, I'll buy a bag. So if someone tells me get something, I'll pick it up. But like, otherwise, um, um, I'm not adding. I got, some, I got some AMD stock recently. You know them? The That's funny. I, I sold my AMD. <laughs> like, really? I was up like 100% or something. Fuck this, I'm out. <laughs> But they're really, really, their price to earnings ratio is very overvalued, though. So I'm not sure about AMD. I sold mine. I, you know, I'm not sure why you're buying it now. But um, I think it still has a lot of room to grow because the demand of, of, of um, chips will not be covered only by a few providers. So they, they might still have a, a long, yeah, long run. Yeah, they, they, had, they had good earnings and stuff. And their P2E ratio dropped from like 1,500 down to 335. So they um, so that's, that's good. Um, so yeah, long term, you may be okay. Um, I sold it at pr like pretty close to the top. Um, I don't remember what, and then it like picked up again already because um, their earnings came in pretty decent. I'd say like, If I get another entry in it, like maybe if it drops to, you know, I don't know, like a PE that's more rational, like maybe 150 or like, let's say it hits like $150 or something, I'd probably get more, get it back. But at this point, I'm not too worried about it. Um, I'm, I'm not trying to get into things that like um, could drop a lot, essentially. Um, 
but you're it could very well keep running um it's very possible just because like they're producing a lot of ai chips and exactly like people can't get enough of the um you know the various like chipsets and stuff that these various manufacturers are making so nvidia amd have done well um even intel did pretty decent in terms of starting to pick up again. um but um yeah, like I think my IBM stock, I got IBM because of their cloud computing and stuff. And I did pretty well there. I'm like up like 40%. And their dividend when I bought it was like 10%. So it's like, you know, I'm making really good dividend yield off my, my IBM buy. Um, uh, the other one that was, yeah, the other one that was a pretty good buy at the bottom was Intel, which bottomed out at like $25, $26. Now it's at $42.60, for example. Um, they'll benefit from um, chip manufacturing changes where in, there's emphasis on American um, foundries. And the government is handing out stimmy checks to tech companies to build factories locally. Um, so they may benefit from some of that funding. But like I, Intel Corporation, for example, their their dividend yield at this current price is only 1.17%. It's pretty pathetic, actually. So like I'm not gonna buy any Intel unless it goes back down to like twenty five bucks again. Um I'm not so yeah, I'm I'm just like at this stage I'm only looking for value investments in the stock market. I'm using the stocks as more of a store of value and dividend yield, not so much for like heavy, heavy growth prospects and certainly not heavy, heavy um risk. So I'm basically just throwing into like companies I'm I'm pretty sure not going to zero, have positive earnings relatively low price to earnings ratios and higher dividend levels is what I usually prioritize lately. And, um, and Europe's stocks are actually better priced right now. Um, because Europe is kind of in a relative recession spending is kind of down and, um, like they're sort of in distress. So for example, Vodafone VOD might be one to look at for Europe. It's like the AT&T or whatever, like, you know, Europe essentially. And, uh, and their dividend yields like eleven percent right now, based on a stock price of eight dollars and like eighty cents, and its price to earnings ratio is only two point one three, which is really really low. So um, I think my bag is down on that one. I think I averaged like nine dollars and something. It's at eight seventy four right now, but still um, the yield has made up for it already because I've owned this thing almost a year. So I made about um, 10% yield on this sucker already. And so whatever price drop happened, I've already compensated in yield. And it'll just keep paying me yield for years to come. So it's a good like dividend producing stock, but not necessarily a growth stock. But if you look at the all-time chart of it, like it's absolutely wrecked. Like the price of Vodafone now is like, um, I kid you not, it's like 1996 level pricing for the stock. So basically all hopes of growth have been basically melted out of this thing. And the stock is absolutely wrecked as far as chart. So if you want it for dividend yield and you're not so worried about growth, you just need a place to park some. That would be an example of a place to do it. And then not only that, but it, the chart is completely wrecked. So like if Europe were to turn around or, you know, who knows what, like it has a lot of upside potential because it's the chart has no speculative multiple built into it at all. A PDE ratio of two is basically like saying like, you know, it's only t twice the earnings is where the stock is right now, which is really, really basically the, the, like all of the excess froth has been squeezed out of this lemon. And, um, yeah, it's like a buying a shit coin at the very bottom. <laughs> so that's uh one to look at maybe.
So yeah, I mean, I, I tend to be a little bit more value investor in oriented lately when it comes to stocks, um, not necessarily chasing the shiny object. And I'm certainly not chasing things with very high PDE ratios. I pretty much eliminated most of those. And that's to my detriment to some extent, because like, obviously, NVIDIA ran a lot more. I have those stocks, though, in, in other funds. I'm, I'm just talking about like my trading account. Like, so hey, mm -hmm. I, um, SPX actually just pulled another all-time high. Right? So what's funny yeah, is... Yeah, he, he was mentioning yeah, he was asking me what I think is going to happen in the stock market. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, sure. so, so, so here in Europe, right, we have the same in Germany, like Sturman is DAX, DAX. Is the, it's also pulled an all-time high, but we have a recession. The GDP shrunk 3%. Now it's still pumped. It's like completely mad to me. I've never seen such a thing. And actually, people that I do business with, they'll complain. Situation is not good, but the stock market is still climbing. So, yeah. You know, I feel a bit careful at the moment. Just doesn't make sense to me. Do people in Europe make enough money to spend on anything anymore? Like, or is inflation so bad that, like, you know, between real estate, they're like consumer expenses are too high right now. You know, people on the lower income end are pretty pretty much maxed out, but it's not like. Um, it's a different situation than in the US. You know, people usually are more let's say people don't live on the credit so much than in the u.s so it's it's getting but you can see a lot of protests like the farmers are out on the street in france it's even worse they're, they're taking the fluffy <laughs> whatever you know they, they're dumping the feces of the animals in front of the government buildings <laughs> I, i'm not sure if you're following that but last week has been really weird in france and it's the farmers, right? So usually it's the farmers that are, they don't give too much of a shit. And then How hard of a time people having like, what's the car market like in, in uh, Europe? Is it fucked or is like people having a hard time buying or what? Yeah, well, I think it's the car sales went down significantly. And I think Volkswagen laid off a bunch of people. So it's not looking good. Energy prices are through the roof. Most of the big, Chemical companies are actually reducing like big scale, some of them like 40-50% moving to China and moving to the US. So they really closing down the plants, right? So that's, that's yeah, because I own I own um like um I have Volkswagen and Porsche stock. Both of them are down. Yeah. I bought them while they're wrecked, so they're but even then they're down 10% from that price. Um these are pretty I nice. Like Volkswagen chart, like it has a seven percent dividend yield at this price. Um, my question is like, is there a lot more downside left in the car market or do you think like it's been absolutely fundamentally wrecked because of the high interest rates and everything and then, like, the downside is capped? They still have some means to to pull some protectionism and then Volkswagen is pretty well diversified. They have plants in South America and in the US and then in China, right? So it's it's not kind of that, that sort of detrimental to the because their just, price to earnings ratio is 4.31 for the Volkswagen group. That includes, you know, the subset, which is Porsche and everybody. Um, let me see what like Ford has, for example, yeah. as a PDE ratio, just by comparison. Ford is but sitting just, at a PDE of 7.93. All I'm saying is just like, it looks like super fishy to me. Like it should have at least not pulled another all time high, you know, with the economy being that bad government has, there's a lot of things that they had to cancel, you know, the, the bloody railroad, which 
public transport is big here in Europe, right? Everyone uses it. They went on strike for almost a week this month, right? Last month in January. It's like super crazy, you know? Anyway, so yeah, I, I, I think if there's a problem, it comes out of Europe on the world economy. Yeah. <laughs> like Toyota Motors, for example, um, my Toyota stock's up quite a bit. I think I'm up like 30% or 40%. It's actually hitting all time highs right now. Um, 202, 202. 204. Um, and what I was going to say is this PDE ratio on it is like $10.44. I'm sorry, 10.44. And then it's got a dividend of 2%. So my thought on Toyota was like, you know, if you think Volkswagen is sufficiently wrecked, then maybe I sell my Toyota and grab myself some Volkswagen for the, you know, nice 10%, 11% dividend yield level with a lower PDE. Um, because I don't know how much like more growth potential Toyota really has from here. Like, you know, wh like, why would they grow any more than they are here? Unless you believe like something amazing is going to happen at Toyota. You know, so that's kind of what I'm, why I'm asking. Like European stocks are just much better priced right now than everybody else's as far as like discounts. And they have a they had pretty bad sales in the last couple of years. I guess that's what, what the price is reflecting on the car market, right? Yeah, uh, but I, I guess it's not going away, but I don't know if it's really gonna pump in the next couple of years. I, I don't know, you know, I really have no Volkswagen seems to have decent tech, like they have decent batteries, they have decent um Oh yeah. I mean you know, the portions and everything are pretty nice. Like I, so I don't know, like they seem to have reasonable tech. Yeah. Um you know, and they, they probably will bounce back, but like, you know, will the dividend be preserved? Um, you know, the PDE ratio of four, should I add to Volkswagen? Should I swap out my Toyota is kind of what I'm thinking. Maybe <laughs> I'm not sure. No, Toyota is pretty solid. <laughs> yeah. Manufacturer. They both are, you know, both yeah. are great companies. So Seth is just saying the ones that high, the other ones that low might be reasonable to swap a little bit around. Yeah. Yeah, like a little rotation basically. I I got pretty screwed with uh, Neo a few years ago. I don't know if you guys know it, the, the Chinese electric company that was supposed to be yeah, I added, some Neo, I added some Neo lately with the crash of the China stock market. Um, and I had some Neo for the past six months or so. But yeah, what happened with your bag? I purchased it at the all time high, basically. Um, oh, I definitely didn't do that. <laughs> I knew the electric stuff was in a bubble. Yeah, but you know, the, 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 um, the thing with them is that they, they're, they're, the difference, the main difference against Tesla, for example, is that they have the swappable batteries which is, I think, a game changer because you don't need to to park your car and, and keep it charging for hours. You just swap the battery for one that is fully charged and, and, and you keep going. But uh, yeah, it definitely came crashing with the Chinese stock market. And, and after that, the price hasn't recovered. Yeah, Noob, you, you said you saw a lot of Neo cars in China, right? Mm, yeah. Actually, not too few, and they have a pretty big charging network. I mean, Neo is one of the few that actually keeps track of all the charges on their website that are actually connected. It's like China right now has over one million public charging terminals in in China. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, you know. But uh, then again, it's like uh, electric cars have the the positive thing is in China. It's very easy to get new infrastructure set up, right? So the government comes along and says, yeah, this roadside, we need some 
we need to convert this and the next month it's there, right? It's that simple in China. You have to try to do that in Europe or in the US with all the regulations, you know, it's a good example of how, how difficult this, this can be actually, right? Even just to get a new high tension line somewhere. So um, I think that's where Asia, in not just China, all these, let's say, smaller economies or let's say lesser economies have an advantage when it comes to building out the electric grid because they're just much more flexible. No one gives a shit if you just put a new pylon for high tension lines right in front of the yards or whatever. So I'm pretty bullish on electric cars, but not so much on, let's say, if you're focused, let's say, on. <laughs> I, I just don't think that the grid supports in many countries right now in Europe. You know, it's like if we add another ten percent, <laughs> slides out here because they can't cope with the load. <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, it's a different story. But I, I, I like yeah. Mio. I bought a bunch on the last crash here. Yeah, like it's at I think close to its, uh, like it's at its low for the season. Um. In 2020, before like the electric pump, or like, or it, like it opened in 2019, I think, and it opened around like eight dollars, and then now it's like around dollars. It went down to dollars seventy, dollars fifty, um, back in 2019, and then it kind of like pumped to all high heaven, all the way up to like sixty-one dollars. Now it's at five dollars and fifty-four cents. So it is definitely in that wreck position, where like it could go down a bit more, but um, it's P to E ratio is in the negative, like negative dollar seventy nine earnings per share. So they're yeah. losing about like twenty percent per share at this point. And, and, and don't forget, it's actually the CCP's like a poster child, right? Mm. So don't worry about it getting into real trouble or much lower than where it is right now. I don't think so. Mm. Definitely not. You know, <laughs> it's like they 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 like it too much. <laughs> Yeah, so but I don't think it's ever made money yet. So that's the thing. Like, um, it had a heavy amount of speculative multiple built into it, and um, it made, I don't know. What the, I don't know what the market cap is. Oh, here it is: eleven point six billion market cap. Same. How as was like, that working for Amazon? <laughs> right for like fifteen years about not making money. <laughs> uh, who, who cares, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, Tesla didn't make money initially. either, remember, so yeah. Uh, a lot, a lot of companies don't make money initially, and like they'll pump hard when they do start making money. Usually, um, as soon as they can get to that level where they're profitable, stocks usually really, really do well. They go on an absolute bull run tear. They do. So the concept with Neo would be, and that's like ticker NIO would be, yeah, like you're, you're gambling on the idea that they're future profitable and they're successful and they're making big cars and stuff. There's this principle in like Taoism. There's this principle in like Taoism where it's just like the more you fight something, the more like the opposite of what you want, like just inevitably it kind of starts to happen. There's this principle in like Taoism. 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 Where it's just like the more you fight something, the more like the opposite of what you want, like just inevitably it kind of starts to happen.
things. Like the more you fight something, the more like the opposite of what you want inevitably kind of starts to happen. Tripping on the bird app, listening to nerds flap, wondering why the fuck my timeline's so cursed. It's like everybody's holding heavy bags in Web three. That's why they can't fly. They just drowning in the bird bath, fishing for some crop powder. Watch how we ignite the tower, blowing up the bank accounts, forgetting how to fight the power. Y'all don't even realize how deep this shit goes. They preaching open sauce, but don't listen to the code. And now it's mutiny, community uprise. There's no more humility, futility, plus size. Motherfuckers leaking from the wrench down to the bare metal. Which side the line you bleeding out on when the dust settles? Motherfucking west side shit, needle and noose. Sticking with my armory, Yam, Beto, and Bruce. Repping psychedelic artistry, believing the truth. Like these motherfuckers even need a reason to sue? GM fam. Is it really worth all the fighting? Is it really worth all the drama? And the answer, I think, is a clear no. They started using Zoom, now we finna zoom out Teaching all these plebidites what this game's really all about Little baby bitches when they choose to have fits All you left with is kibble when you lose all them bits And that kibble's just sawdust, the shit is all rust Not a great look, you're what we call all nuts And I for one did not see that coming Cracking open books, yo, that's a lot of money Meanwhile over here rewiring features More critical thinking, less knee jerk More evolution, less shit Preachers pretending to be teachers Y'all just predatory leeches I mean please, just look at the track record A bunch of VC rap fucks Sucking up the cheddar, the recipe is two steps Rinse and repeat Now we all in your butts And we bring in receipts GM fam, have a seat If you're listening to this, my, my plea to you it would be like don't have, don't, don't have to take a side on it Just say like, is it really, is it really worth this war of attrition? It might cost us a lot more than what can be gained by like fighting this to the better end. And sometimes it's better to just like move on. Ten spaces. <laughs>